We're going to be looking at a documentary based on a best-selling book called The Bible Unearthed and exploring the field of biblical archaeology. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rabbi Reacts in our mini-series going through the Bible unearthed and discussing biblical archaeology and the dating of the Bible. In this video, we're going to go into a core argument that is made in the first volume of this documentary series, that is to say, the whole biblical account of the patriarchs is basically not historically accurate. It must have been written by a later author looking around the world around them and say, and projecting things backwards that they thought were true. And what they're going to argue is there's a lot of anachronisms, or at least a few anachronisms, that give us a clue. And they're going to, we're going to look today at some of these. Now, the first of these purported anachronisms is going to be Philistines. You see Abraham meets Philistines, Isaac meets Philistines, and the argument's going to be, well, Philistines didn't exist at the time that Abraham and Isaac are meant to have existed. So the Bible is clearly a later author who has Philistines around them, who's projecting them back in time to Abraham and Isaac. That's going to be the argument. Now, we're going to come to this and talk about it. Um, but first, let's just look at the argument, the way it is presented in this documentary. In the book of Genesis, reference is made to the Philistines, a people who came to Canaan and who made life difficult for the Israelites. What do we know of the Philistines? That they are part of a group of peoples whose origin is unknown, who came to the coastal plains of the Levant and who were given the name the Sea Peoples. Neil Silberman met with an Israeli archaeologist in digs in Dor, not far from Megiddo, a site that relates to these Sea Peoples. She is trying to identify them and determine their date of arrival. What can we say about the, the date of the arrival of the Philistines and the other Sea Peoples? Well, other than the Bible, when they are mentioned earlier, both archaeologically and if we take into consideration the literature, they appear on the scene in the 12th century BC. It's roughly 1200 or 1150 BC. So in, in the earlier periods, when it's mentioned in connection with Abraham, there's just not archaeological evidence. Everything comes later. No, none whatsoever. Everything archaeologically, everything starts in the 12th. Some would say a little bit earlier, maybe the late 13th century. So the hypothesis is we're sitting there, obviously, with later authors who are looking around them, seeing these Philistines and projecting them back in time and assuming they were ancient Philistines. And we've now caught with modern science the Bible being inaccurate. The only problem with this hypothesis is we know a lot about the Philistines in the later centuries, in the era, let's say, from the 10th century downwards, or the 12th century, 11th century, 10th century. And we know the primary concentration of Philistines is in five major cities along what is today Gaza Strip moving up the Israel coast, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, Gas, Aza, exactly as the Bible itself describes it in, in the book of Samuel and the book of Kings and so on. So we know it's there. We know the names of Philistines that were used. When the biblical books talk about them, they talk about them exactly where they are, in exactly the right places, using exactly the right type of weaponry, with worshipping the right types of gods. The biblical authors know exactly who these Philistines are. Yet when they talk about them in the book of Genesis, 
they have them in a completely different place with different names, names like Avimelech, which is not a later Philistine name, in Gerar, which is not a later Philistine city. Obviously, any authors on this hypothesis are not looking around at Philistines around them and projecting them back. They're using the word Philistine to describe a completely different group of people. And if you think about it, that's a very natural thing to do, right? If Philistines are the sea peoples who are coming in, then any other group that might have come in from the sea at any other point in history might also be called by a 13th century author or 12th century author, also might be called uh, Philistines. What makes the most sense is whoever's writing stuff is looking at completely different people and much earlier people and using the word Philistine. You think about it, we might do the same thing nowadays, we might talk about Julius Caesar crossing France and defeating the local French population. Well, there weren't French people in Julius Caesar's time, there were Gauls, but it doesn't matter, we're using our contemporary word to describe the ancient scenario. Or we might talk about Genghis Khan and Russian hordes coming down, you know, when there was no state of Russia in those days. That's just the, a normal way of talking and describing people. So Philistine is probably a word for sea peoples and people who come in and, and they're using the pretty contemporary word for, uh, for intruders coming in. Now she talks about 13th century as a possibility. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion in later videos of exactly when Torah is written, but one plausible hypothesis is the 40 years, the presentation of Torah is around 1250, exactly the point when we would start talking about potential Philistines being around, and therefore the idea of the use of the word to describe uh, ancient people before then is not crazy at all. Now in the book of Amos chapter 9 verse 7, it says, talks about Uflishtim Mekaftar, that the Philistines originally came from Kaftor. In fact, there's a few biblical references to that, and also some also seems to be some indications of Kresi, or, or perhaps more ancient pronunciation, Kresi, perhaps Cretans. The point is the Bible is relating to them as sea peoples, and it is therefore possible that it's either looking at sea peoples, the time of Torah was written and projecting that backwards to older ones, or maybe even the word had actually been used at some point and was now being reused for the new ones. But this, it's clearly not an anachronism in the sense that it is clearly not looking at the local Philistines and projecting them backwards because it uses all the wrong names and places, which the authors of the Bible know clearly extremely well, and are using completely different ones referring to completely different people earlier. But let's look now at the second anachronism, which is claimed in this documentary, because I think it's even more significant. Let us continue with our investigation. The stories of the Bible often refer to camels. There are 25 references to this animal in Genesis, most of which have some connection with Abraham. Now that's a slight inaccuracy. <laughs> there's uh, really one with Abraham, but it's there's going to be a bit with Isaac and a bit with Jacob. But we'll we'll get to the discussion technical. It's that's not really uh, fundamental. Camels were obviously a well-known animal in the Near East, and archaeological excavations have revealed significant quantities of camel bones. But our objective is to put a date on these events. Israel Finkelstein has gone to see Ladar Sapir of the University of Tel Aviv's Archaeozoological Laboratory. What do we know about the domestication of the camel in the Levant region? According to the archaeological evidence, the camel could not have been domesticated as a beast of burden before the first millennium BC. 
Well, there you have it. The Book of Genesis is full of these camels and couldn't have been domesticated before the 11th century BC. So can't be, you know, where Abram is, what, 18th, 17th, whatever he is, century BC. That's far too far back. It's, it's an anachronism of a later author projecting backwards. Although let's pause and have a little think about that. Is the book of Genesis proposing that there's lots of camels everywhere? Well, let's take a look inside. The first occurrence is in chapter 12, when what happens is that Abraham, who in those days were called Abram, and his wife Sarai, and they go down and Pharaoh first abducts, and eventually when he releases them and gives them gifts, included in the gifts at the end, which likely means the smallest of the gifts, is camels. So at that point, all that we know is that the Pharaoh of Egypt had camels. We know nothing about any mass domestication. And then we don't hear about camels again until chapter 24. What happens there is Abraham is sending his servant Eliezer out to Mesopotamia to try to find a wife for his son. And there he does have camels, probably the same family of camels that he'd taken with him from Egypt. And then we don't hear about camels again. In fact, we never hear about any native camels in the land of Canaan. What we then hear is in chapter 32, when Jacob is returning from Haran, he's gone out, he's left the area, he's gone to his relative who's a local chieftain, and when he accumulates a lot of wealth, at the end of the list of wealth, he also has camels, which he brings back to the land and offers, amongst other offerings, a gift to his brother Esau, who is jealous of him. That's it. After that, it seems that camels have gone. In fact, so absent are camels, apparently, in Canaan at that time, that when the brothers go down to Egypt to look for food, they go on donkeys. Just for example, chapter 42, uh, verse um, 25, talks about them that... Uh, or to the 26th, they, they load their sacks al Hamareim onto their donkeys. And throughout the story, whenever they travel backwards or forwards in Canaan and Egypt, they're using donkeys. Now, anybody who could use camels would not be using donkeys. Camels are much better travelers in the desert. They can go much longer without water. They, when, when camels are domesticated, then everybody's using camels. It seems that throughout the story of backwards and forwards in and out of Egypt, they're using donkeys and not camels. In other words, whoever's writing the Torah most certainly is not using an eighth or seventh or even 10th century picture of things when camels are domesticated, they are envisioning a world in which camels are very rare, picked up a little bit in a royal palace somewhere in Egypt and in some chieftain somewhere out in Mesopotamia, but generally speaking, there aren't camels. This is a world where you need donkeys to travel. And throughout the story, most episodes, they're going to be using donkeys and camels are incredibly rare. On the contrary, there's an argument the author has an incredibly accurate picture back then. It's not a later author anachronistically referring to an earlier time. In fact, it's almost for sure not a later author, because any later author, using exactly uh, Finkelstein and Silverman's argument, any later author, you would expect to have a world where everybody's traveling back to Egypt and forward on camels. The biblical author gets this exactly right. And by the way, it's not the case that there were no camels at all in the Middle East at that time. Kenneth Kitchen, on, on, in his book on the reliability of the Old Testament, has a little piece on this where he makes the following, he, I'm just going to quote from him, um, on page 339, he talks about the fact that there's a camel skull uh, that was found in, in circa, uh, two, somewhere between 2000 and 1400. He talks about the fact that in Byblos, there's a figurine of a kneeling camel, hump and a load now missing, but it was originally there in the 19th, or back going back to the 19th to 18th century BCE, around the time when Abram would have been taking a camel out of the royal collection of camels or whatever they'd have had in Egypt. Uh, from Canaan, there's a camel jawbone, mi middle bronze tomb, also circa 1900 to 1550, etc. And he goes on and lists others. The point is, clearly the camel was not a majorly domesticated animal at that point. That everybody 
everybody agrees. But there were occasionally ones here or there. It would make sense that Pharaoh may have had a small collection. It may have made sense that somebody out of Mesopotamia would. But that's exactly right. That's exactly the biblical picture. It's perfect. It's exactly what we now know archaeologically. For the main, there's no camels. There's an occasional collection here and there, very exotic and very exciting. But ultimately, they were never a major part of the biblical travel fleet. And in the main, the book of Genesis, they're using donkeys. So these are great examples where, in a documentary, it's just blurted out as if there's no other side. Clearly, these anachronisms, clearly the Bible can't be written in the 12th century because it refers to Philistines, can't even be written by the 10th, before 10th century because it refers to camels. And actually, when we drill down, there's a very strong counter-argument to say, in the case of the Philistines, that it's clearly not later people it's referred to. In the case of camels, that the biblical picture actually turns out to be very accurate to second, second millennium BC and not very accurate to a later time. So it almost makes the argument that a later author, it's not, not so likely to be a later author. It's much likely to be an earlier author. Anyway, that's so far. We're going to explore other arguments made in the documentary in coming videos. Looking forward to seeing you there. So now I'm going to bring an example of an argument they bring in the book. The biblical stories of the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, has now been identified with ancient Edom. Hi everyone, thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed what you saw, please click on the like and subscribe and hit the notification button below. Thanks so much.